Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Week by week, we have a different guest, all sorts of people from a whole range of different backgrounds who are expressing their Catholic faith through their ministry, through their life, through their work, and through their witness. Today, my special guest is Ed Clancy, the Director of Evangelization for the Apostolate Aid to the Church in Need. Ed, thank you for your work, and welcome to More Christianity. Well, thank you for having me. Good to be here. Ed, Aid to the Church in Need, my first association with this wonderful charity was uh, when I lived in England and came across the work of Aid to the Church in Need and realized the wonderful work that was started. I believe it was started by a Dutch priest, is that correct? That is correct. It was started by Father Wernfried von Straten mm-hmm. in 1947. Who was known as the Bacon Priest. Can you tell us about that? Uh, well, Father Wernfried was very good at responding to needs as they came up, and he was also very creative in his solutions. And the name Bacon Priest comes from the time when he was speaking before Dutch Catholic women, and he asked them to participate in helping, at that time, the church behind the Iron Curtain. And they said to him, but Father, we're just poor farmers' wives. We don't have much money. And Mm -hmm. he said to them, well, I'm sure you have some speck or some bacon hanging by your fire that you might use for tonight's dinner you can cut a piece off and bring it to me, and I will see that it gets to the people who are hungry and need it. And within a couple of days, they had something like two tons of bacon. (laughs) (laughs) So um, from that point on, when he realized, oh, this works, he did it a few more times. And then after that, he realized, well, if he's going to be given the title of bacon priest, he should go visit some of the farmers that produced the, the bacon and find more out about it. And that's what he did. So he took the name with great gusto. Without getting too far off track, it's a wonderful lesson for all of us who are trying to encourage the faithful to be a little bit more generous. You know, very often we'll help people say, oh, Father, money's so tight, I can't give any more. You know, it really is difficult. And in fact, just that little bit more, if everybody gave just that little bit, that little scrap of bacon, if you like, that little bit more, uh, and then the Lord's work in our parishes, in our churches, our schools, and our apostolates would be able to thrive and, and uh, serve so many more people. So, Aid to the Church in Need uh, began with Father Rarenfried in, in, in uh, the Netherlands, a Dutch priest, helping the Christians who were behind the Iron Curtain in communist countries in Eastern Europe. Tell me how the work has expanded. Well, um, we officially started when he responded to Pope Pius's call to help the Church in Germany after World War II, and then it expanded from there throughout the Iron Curtain, throughout the Soviet blocs. And in the 1950s, our work moved from just being help behind the Iron Curtain to help in places like Africa and Asia. And now we are worldwide. Each year we have projects in in about 100 100 plus countries. Going back to that early time in the 40s and 50s, I was a Protestant, you know, brought up as a Protestant evangelical. In the 1960s, uh, we were fascinated by stories of of the Christians who were persecuted for their faith in, in the communist countries and Part of our mission as Protestant evangelicals was to smuggle Bibles across the border. Is that the sort of aid that Aid to the Church Need was giving at that time as well? It ranges the gamut. It was substantial help in you know, helping people stay alive by mm-hmm. doing things like bringing bacon into places where they were very hungry. Our very early projects were things like preparing uh, knapsacks or rucksacks, as they call them, 
with all the things that a priest might need to take his ministry on the road. So they would provide him with a mass kit and a missile and, you know, some vestments, and they'd give it to him in a bag. And this way he could literally go from place to place and bring sacraments to different towns. And was he doing that in secret very often? Some of it was. In Uh fact, the national director of the Brazilian office, Jose Correa, he began working for Aid to the Church in Need as a journalist. And it was because he grew up in, in Brazil and he had the opportunity to get a scholarship to study in Havana. He then had essentially carte blanche to travel into Eastern Europe. Hmm. And what he did was he helped in the very, very same way we were just talking about. They would smuggle Bibles and prayer books and missiles and breviaries into Russia. And the way it would be done is he would travel from North America to Western Europe. And in Western Europe, nuns in a, in a church in Germany would prepare a package, and then he would carry that with him into eastern Germany. And then from eastern Germany, he would make his way through Poland and then finally into Russia. And they would bring prayer books in parts. They would take apart the prayer books or the Bible, and they'd sew it into the lining of a suitcase. Hmm. They would take toothpaste tubes, empty it, and roll up $100 bills as thin as toothpicks, and put them in there and then put the toothpaste back in. And these are kind of things that they did to get things in. I can remember my mom, when I was growing up, took part in a wonderful enterprise organized by evangelical Christians in smuggling Bibles into Russia, and they did it in an ingenious way. They broke down the Bibles into small packets, maybe just 10 pages into an envelope, and they would give an address to Americans all over the country, and they would give the same address to other Americans in other parts of the country, so that eventually this one person in Russia would receive, over a period of a year, a hundred envelopes, each one containing a little portion of the Scriptures, and when they would put it all together, it would make up a whole New Testament. <laughs> so, this is a... <laughs> it's a, it's a, probably a good way of reading the Bible, too, you know, exactly. at a time. <laughs> yeah, and, it was, and here was a, a grassroots level, a device with great ingenuity to get past the censors, to get past the uh, smugglers by using the ordinary postal system. And it was very ingenious and very popular. And um, that's the sort of thing which Christians were doing as I was growing up to reach out and help our persecuted brothers and sisters. I was also involved in 1974, the, the year I graduated from high school. I went on a mission trip to northern France where the Slavic Gospel Association, another Protestant apostolate, had a Western European base, and uh, we American college and high school students posing as tourists would take uh, Volkswagen minibuses loaded up with boxes of Bibles and Christian literature into Poland and into Czechoslovakia and into the Eastern European countries. It's great, very exciting. So that's my my secret history as a Bible smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> well, good work, Father. <laughs> So, Ed, you're now working with Aid to the Church in Need. You have this wonderful heritage, this wonderful history of uh, serving God's people. But now, as you say, you're in over 100 countries around the world. Are you just doing ministry feeding and and educating, or is there also a dimension of ministering to the persecuted church today? Oh, there definitely is. Our projects range from a building project of, of a church or chapel to small little projects sustaining nuns who care for orphans, or... In the case of places like Syria and uh, Lebanon or in uh, northern Africa, we have projects where we're actually helping the refugees now. And recently, because of uh, the typhoon in the Philippines, we're also sending some aid there. 
because obviously they were devastated. So our projects really are over a broad range, but anything that's necessary to support the pastoral life of the church is pretty much what we care for. And Aid to the Church in Need is an established Catholic charity. It's, it's bona fide. It's, it's approved by the Vatican. Are you working also through the church structures? In other words, when you, when you go into a country, do you automatically work with the bishop and the clergy and the established agencies there, or are you working more, at more of a grassroots level? No, no, we work, we work through and with the Church. It was one of the benefits, or one of the, the wonderful benefits of, of the Catholic Church, is that the structure that is needed is usually everywhere. Mm-hmm. And for example, when there was the uh, tsunami, I guess it was about six years ago, seven years ago, we were able to wire money directly to the places that were devastated the next morning. Mm-hmm. Whereas organizations that do great work, like American Red Cross, etc., have to set up an infrastructure They have to do something. We were able to act right away because the church is there always. Yes, I remember reading about uh, an article about this with the non-governmental agencies, organizations, how very often the large non-religious government organizations, United Nations and so forth, they admire the churches because, as you've said, we already have an infrastructure, we have a network. Not only do we have a network on the ground with our local churches and local pastors and local people, but by and large, these groups can be trusted to actually do the work of getting the charity to people because we're motivated by our faith. Whereas when they work very often with government agencies and bureaucracies, they get caught up in red tape, they get caught up in corruption and bribery and all sorts of other Mm -hmm. things. And so they're learning to work with the churches is actually a benefit. Do you find that um, Aid to the Church in Need works also with some of these international non-Christian agencies, or do you really only work within the church? We do in certain circumstances, but generally it's through the church first and foremost. And as we previously discussed, the system is already set up, so you don't have to worry about it. Not only do you ha- do we have the network of delivering what is needed to the local level, you know, the subsidiarity, but we also have the ability of, of vetting projects because a bishop is not going to disappear. If you give him money and it's to be sent somewhere in his diocese, he's not going to you know, pick up shop and move away. He can't do that. Not that he would anyway. And so there's, there's a great trust. In fact, earlier this year, I was traveling with Bishop Camilo Balin from Northern Arabia, I mean, he's in Northern Arabia, very Muslim area. He said that there's great respect for the Catholic Church amongst the very high-ranking Muslims because they stand strong, they don't go away, and they are who they say they are. And I think that's a wonderful attribute. I want to talk to you further, Ed, about uh, persecution of the Church around the world today. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity. My guest today is Ed Clancy, the Director of Evangelization for the International Catholic Charity Aid to the Church in Need. I invite you to go ahead and visit my website, dwightlongenecker.com. From there, you can jump over to my blog, Standing on My Head. It's one of the most popular religious blogs in the country. Browse my books, have a look at uh, some of my writings, and be in touch. Drop us a line and let us know that you enjoy the show and that you're listening. Ed Clancy is the Director of Evangelization for the International Aid Charity, Aid to the Church in Need. We were talking, Ed, earlier in the show about persecution of the church in the communist countries. The Berlin Wall came down, the communist regime collapsed, so therefore there's no more persecution in the church. Is that right? (laughs) Uh, Would that be so? it, It is, in fact, a little bit more sort of covert now. There used to be an obvious nemesis there used to be the, you know, the Soviet Union. There used to be all of the communist heads of state that were out to get the or, or controlling the Catholic Church. 
now it's it seems to be much more subtle and behind the scenes and things that that happen now even in eastern europe are the types of uh, persecution that go unseen you know the discrimination against the catholic church example would be in the early in the 2000s the catholic church had missionary priests in russia and if they would leave the country for for a while they weren't being let back in and this was because the government leaders didn't want quote unquote foreign missionaries to come in and mess with the new structure mm-hmm. you have places like africa where an example would be nigeria where they're they're slowly being converted into an islamic state and so different regions you'll see certain types of religious persecution or you'll see out and out attacks on the church since the fall of the berlin wall things haven't gotten better at all in fact in some ways maybe they've gotten worse and a little bit harder to say this is our enemy this is the person that is against us so during the persecutions of the church in the communist regime you're saying at least we knew where the enemy was now the enemy is very subtle very hidden in many ways One of the books that's come out recently about this is John Allen's book, The Global War on Christians. John Allen is a reporter for a major Catholic paper. He's written an excellent book, which is a study of the situation in the world today. He actually says things are getting worse. Is that the impression that you get at Aid to the Church in Need as well? Yes. We don't do any sort of official statistic taking, but we do rely on both the stories that we hear from the locales, as well as things like the Pew Study, the Pew Forum for Religious Religion and Public Life, which talked about some of these issues. And it was one of the things that John Allen used in his book to show that, the, that there is a lot of persecution. And I think in his book he said that 80% of all acts of discrimination against any religions are against Christians. You know, if we just read the Facebook news feed and some of the stuff that's out there, you would think that, oh, persecution of Christians today, that just means that Muslims are killing Christians, and isn't that terrible? And John Allen says, yes, there is a problem with Muslim-Christian persecution, but he says, you know, it's actually much more widespread than that. And he goes on to give examples of extremist Buddhist groups, extremist Hindu groups. He goes on then to say, and it's not just one religion against another. He said, if a Christian a Catholic uh, is standing up for their faith, they might be persecuted by a whole range of different organizations and individuals, depending what stance they're taking. So he gives the example and says, it might be gangsters and mafia people. He, he cites an Italian priest who was gunned down because he was standing up against organized crime. It might be a left-wing government. It might be a right-wing government. It might be the interests of big business if, if the Christian is standing up for the rights of indigenous peoples. He says, you know, it, the, the persecution out there against Christians is complex and it's widespread. Yes, that's, that's quite true. And in fact, there was one thing that was of great note in just what you were talking about, that the nation of Colombia, you know, it's mostly Christian, very great majority Christian, and a great, very great majority of that are Catholics. In a country of 46 million people, it's a place where the churches are are being forcibly closed. There's been 30 pastors of different Christian denominations killed each year. Something like 60% of all of the murders against human rights workers took place in Colombia. Mm-hmm. And many of them are, were Christian-based or are Christian-based. So that's just one example of a country that you would think, oh, that's not religious persecution. But when you look at the actual effects of what they're doing, you see that it is, that they're attacking Christians in the Catholic Church. And this leads us to John Allen's other point where he says persecution of Christians is, again, 
very often difficult to pin down because there are very few who are persecuted simply because they're Christians. In other words, it doesn't usually happen that someone comes in and holds a gun to your head and says, you're wearing a crucifix, I'm going to kill you. Okay, <laughs> it's much No, more... no, it's, not, it's never that clear. It's no. not like, you know, put the sign above their head and say, Christian, shoot, that kind of thing. Right, and so he says, usually it will be because someone is, a Christian, is standing up for his rights or defending the rights of somebody else, defending religious freedom, and then that is perceived as a political stance. It's perceived as being subversive against a particular government or someone's in, or someone in power. And so they'll be imprisoned or they'll be arrested and they'll be tried. But it won't be because they're Christians. They're tried because ostensibly, you know, they're a subversive element or they're called a terrorist or something like that. And therefore, it isn't specifically because they're a Christian, but because they have lived out their Christian faith. Now, what are some of the complications like that that you, you've come across? My personal experience in, in speaking to someone is, is Cardinal Wacko from from Sudan, from Khartoum. Mm-hmm. He started a program called Save the Savable, and what it is is he's not closing the doors to anybody who wants an education. So if children come to one of the Catholic schools in the diocese, they're let in. But of course, there are costs associated with that child being educated. So there are tuitions for the students to pay and their family, but oftentimes the parents can't pay, and if they do pay, they don't pay in currency. They may pay in chickens or in eggs or in a goat or something like that. That's not very liquid. And so the diocese, the archdiocese, is always, is often stuck, not being able to pay its bills very quickly. So what happened was about 15 years ago is Cardinal Waco was arrested, and he was put in jail, and the government at that time said to him, well, unless you pay your bills, we're going to start taking your churches away. So he had to appeal from prison mm-hmm. to ask for money from other countries. And, you know, this is a place where a majority of the people who get higher education are going through the Catholic school system. In the Khartoum Archdiocese, they have 80% Muslim children in Catholic school. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, that should build synergy and, and a cooperative environment, but oftentimes it's not that. Right. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. And today we have Ed Clancy as our guest, Director of Evangelization for Aid to the Church in Need. Ed, can you take a moment and tell our listeners where they can find out more about your work? Sure. The place to go online is churchinneed.org. So you just spell out the word C-H-U-R-C-H-I-N-N-E-E-D.org. You can also see us on EWTN. We do a show called Where God Weeps once a week an interview show. It's also on EWTN radio or Catholic radio across the country. And you can also call our offices, 1-800-628-6333. And if somebody wants to offer some kind of assistance to your ministry, do they send you bacon? Oh, actually, I don't think my doctor would like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So they can make their donations online? Um, Yes, they can. And they can also call us, or if they do have any questions, they can contact us by email or by phone. Ed Clancy is my guest today, the Director of Evangelization for Aid to the Church in Need. Ed, let's talk about the question of persecution. We said that it wasn't just Muslims persecuting Christians, but uh, lots of different groups also that the, the question of persecution is often very complex and very difficult. I spent 25 years in England, first as an Anglican priest and then as, as a Catholic layman, and was intrigued by the persecution of the Catholic Church during the Protestant Revolution in that country. Under Henry VIII, sometimes people say, well, why did all the Catholic priests and and all but two of the Catholic bishops give in to the king and sign the Act of Supremacy? That was the, the paper which said that the king was the rightful head of the Church of England. 
And the answer is that it actually happened incrementally. The devastation and, and closing of all the monasteries and and the suppression of the Catholic Church in England happened over a period of 30 to 50 years, just drip, drip, bit by bit. What do you see as the greatest danger for this, say, in, in the United States at this time? We take our religious freedom as one of our basic freedoms. Do you feel like some others that that's beginning to be eroded? Well, I think there are definitely some trends which are disturbing. And we just saw recently the change of the definition of, quote-unquote, definition of marriage, where now people who oppose it are being called prejudiced or discriminatory. Mm-hmm. We have a case of a baker who refused to bake a wedding cake for two homosexual men who were about to be married, and they filed a lawsuit against him. And it makes me wonder when will it be churches that get sued because they're not allowed to be married in a church or a church hall or a church organization, Knights of Columbus, get sued because they won't host a wedding reception Mm -hmm. for a couple like that. What I found particularly chilling about that case was the mayor of the town said that the baker and his wife would not be fined for not making the wedding cake, but instead they would be re-educated. Now, (laughs) maybe the mayor meant that to sound nice. To me, it sounded really creepy. Like, I wanted to say to the mayor, re-educated, would that be forcible re-education, sir? And will it be residential? You know, in other words, are they going to take him to a re-education camp? Now, I don't mean to be alarmist, but those are the questions which are worth asking, and this is happening in, in the United States today. It reminds me of the now famous comment by Cardinal George of Chicago, who said, I expect to die in bed, my successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. Again, it's looking at a grim future for the USA and for religious freedoms. What are the things we can do, Ed, to be aware and, and to try to do something about that? I think it's very important that we we pray for our government leaders and our church leaders. I think this is an important time to support them in many ways in the silence of our prayer, but also we should be more vigilant in our Catholicism without being violent and stand up for things, you know, not be afraid to voice our opinions, to stay aware of the kind of things that are happening worldwide and to keep your eyes and ears open for signals that seem to show it happening here. The United States is blessed with religious freedom, and yet we see it eroding in small ways. And just as you were talking about how with the Church of England, it happened over 30 or 50 years. It's not far to say that within one generation, similar things could happen here. But obviously, if we remain aware and prayerfully ask for God's help, I think a lot can be done to stop it and, in fact, reverse some of the trends. What you mentioned about looking for the small signs, being aware of the small signals, one of the things which is out there at the moment, you want to be aware of politicians who talk about freedom of worship. This is one of the shifts in the language which is happening away from freedom of religion to freedom of worship. Now, the reason this is important is because freedom of religion means that we have the freedom not only to worship God as we please, but the freedom to live our Catholic faith in the world, in a workplace, in the public square, in politics, in literature, right across the whole gamut and the whole range of our society together. That's what freedom of religion means. And people are trying to change the terminology in our country from the freedom of religion to the freedom of worship. Now, what freedom of worship means is basically 
We're not going to interfere with you with what you want to do in your church on Sunday or in your synagogue on Saturday or whatever you want to do within the privacy of your church building or your temple or your your synagogue is is fine. That's freedom of worship, but you have to shut up when you get outside. (laughs) And we have to be aware of that uh, shift in language and, and challenge people when we hear it and say, hang on, Americans believe in freedom of religion, not just freedom of worship. Yes, it is important to stay very well aware of of what's happening. And some of the trends that we see here are not so good, but some of them are are good in that you do see much more energy in the young people. You see, you know, the young people coming back from places like World Youth Day, energized and working hard to enliven their churches and their parishes. And we have wonderful universities now that are putting out very genuine Catholic educated professionals, which is another thing. Jose Maria Escriva talked about being a saint in the place that you are, being holy in the place that you are. This is another important thing. And sometimes that may mean a type of martyrdom, unfortunately, that we might have to suffer some way. We have to remember that our faith is filled with martyrs and heroes. I would second that, that the main antidote to threatened persecution or threatened oppression of any kind is for Christians of all sorts and ages and types and backgrounds and professions to be living a, a dynamic, hope-filled, radiantly joyful Catholic life. And it's when that sort of positive life is being shown that the forces of oppression and persecution have to step back a little bit because this is such a powerful force in the world, the simple radiance and joy of a Christian life that is led to the full. You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Today my guest is Ed Clancy, the Director of Evangelization for Aid to the Church in Need. Ed, remind our listeners again of your uh, website where they can go and learn more about your ministry. Sure. The website is www.churchinneed.org. And on there you can find some of the projects that we're helping in different places around the world. There's also a news feeds, regular news feeds of different things that are happening in regards to persecution and, and also signs of hope, not just uh, everything dark and dour. Absolutely. And one of the great things that you're doing, which I'm impressed with always, is how the initial vision of uh, Father Werenfried of helping ordinary people in local situations is really still part of the inspiration of what you're doing today. You're not investing in, for the most part, in large-scale global enterprises, are you? You're investing in local church projects, local initiatives. Is that mostly how it works? Yes, it is. In fact, uh, we raise worldwide about $100 million dollars each year, and the number of projects range from eight to 11,000. Some of them are larger, but most of them are small. Most of them are things like mass stipends. You know, we take for granted the fact that we can go to mass at any time and that that priest will be there. In some of these countries, for example, for Romania, Albania, they're very, very poor. And so when, when a priest gets $10 or 10 euros, a stipend to say a mass, that, that could keep him alive for three or four days easily, just like supporting nuns, giving them some help to pay their bills, can keep their orphanages open, and different things like that. So there, we, we do have a lot of small projects mainly. Thank you, Ed Clancy, Director of Evangelization for Aid to the Church in Need. Go to their website and support their wonderful work around the world to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. You've been listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker.